Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us in your word tonight and that you would be exalted as we see Jesus in your word. In his precious name, amen. So my, life, my, my wife likes to watch Netflix shows while she's doing chores. And sometimes I'll look over her shoulder and ask her questions about the show. But sometimes I feel pretty stupid, like when I ask a question like, are the good guys going to win? And she looks back at me and shakes her head and says, this is a cooking show. <laughs> uh, so what's going on in that moment? I'm trying to understand a scene in a show when I don't even know the beginning. Of course I won't understand the story. I won't understand who the characters are, and I won't understand what they're doing, and I won't know how to respond to the story because I don't know who the characters are. Our text tonight is Mark 15:37, which uh, we've already read. It's found on page 853 of the Bibles Provided. In this text, we're told about Jesus. Listen as I read. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. When we read this verse in Mark's Gospel, we need to realize that we're walking into the middle of a story. There's a person in this story, and he does something. But unless we know who he is, his actions won't make sense to us, and we won't know how to respond. So first we'll back up and ask, who is Jesus? That's going to be the first thing I'll help us think through from the text. And after we get a better picture of who Jesus is, I'll help us think through what it means that Jesus cried out and breathed his last. And after we know the meaning, I'll help us think through how we should respond. And those are the three points for the sermon tonight. <coughs> Who is Jesus? What does it mean that he cried out and breathed his last? And how should we respond? So who is Jesus? Well, as I said, we're entering the story in the middle. So to understand who Jesus is, we should start where all stories start, in the beginning. The Apostle John, in, his, in the first three verses of his Gospel, tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word in this passage from John is Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God. All things were made through him. Nothing was made apart from Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning with God and was God and breathed out the words, let there be light. And there was light. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we read that the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Jesus was with God and was God when the Lord God breathed life into Adam, the first man. And because God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve owed obedience to God as their creator. But Adam and Eve did not obey. They listened to Satan, the snake, instead of God. They doubted God's word and his goodness and took and ate of the forbidden fruit. Sin and death entered the world. Paul says in the book of Romans that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Adam sinned as a representative 
for all mankind. And all mankind after him, including you and I, have followed in his pattern of doubting God's word and disobeying. And all who have descended from Adam have had to confront the reality of death, just like Adam. And because Adam and Eve disobeyed, God threw them out of the garden that he had put them in. But not before promising grace and hope. In Genesis 3.15, God spoke to the snake and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God promised that one day a snake crusher would come and trample the snake, conquer sin and death, restore creation, and bring God's people back to his garden. Through the rest of the Old Testament, God reveals more about this promised snake crusher. He would be a prophet, revealing God to people. He would be a priest and act as mediator between holy God and sinful men. And he would be a king and rule over his enemies. All throughout Mark's gospel, God reveals that Jesus is this promised prophet, priest, and king. He reveals that Jesus is Lord, the eternal Son of God. God reveals in Mark's gospel that Jesus is Lord over nature, people, demons, even death itself. In Mark 8, we see Jesus revealed as the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one from the Old Testament. Mark leaves no ambiguity that this Jesus about whom he writes is the promised snake crusher, anointed by God to enter the fight against sin, death, and the curse, anointed to win. Mark confronts us with this Christ. This is Jesus, the Christ, about whom we now read in Mark's gospel, crying out on the cross and breathing his last. So now that we see better who Jesus is, we can ask the follow-up question. What does it mean that Jesus cried out and breathed his last? Earlier I mentioned in Paul's letter to the Romans, in which God says that Adam's disobedience brought death and sin to all who are descended from him. But the passage doesn't stop there. It continues in Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Adam's trespass brought condemnation to all men. But one act of righteousness brought justification and life to all men. What is this act of righteousness? This act of righteousness is Christ's life and death. Unlike Adam, who did not live in obedience to God, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God. Every breath that Jesus took was in perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus did what Adam did not do. Jesus did what all who have descended from Adam have not done. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all disobeyed our Creator, but Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Jesus, the snake crusher, came into the world he had made and offered up his life of perfect obedience to God as a ransom for many. The snake crusher came to tread on the serpent, 
but the serpent would strike his heel. Treading on the serpent would not be free. As one author put it, the business of treading on serpents is painful business, especially for the heel. Jesus would have to die. And that is where we are in the story of the snake crusher. Jesus has gone to the cross to die. But through his death, he would crush sin, death, and the serpent. In Luke's account of the death of Christ, he tells us what the content of this loud cry was. Luke tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. This is Jesus' last prayer. And there are a number of things that we can learn from Christ's prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was obedient all the way to the end. He knew that no sinner can be close to God. God, in his justice, must punish sin. Jesus knew that God would not receive a sinner's spirit into his hands. So this prayer, into your hands I commit my spirit, reveals Jesus' confidence that his spirit would be received by God. By this prayer, Jesus shows that he remained obedient all the way to the end, and his cry was a cry of victory. He had made it. All of his trials, all of his sufferings, all of his temptations were over, and he had won. He remained obedient all the way to the end, and so he voluntarily offered up his life without blemish to God, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so Jesus cries out with a loud victory cry, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This prayer is not a prayer that Jesus prayed for himself alone. He prayed this prayer also on behalf of all those that the Father had given him. You see, Jesus was establishing a new type of humanity. Adam was the first head of humanity, and all who have descended from him have had the same problems he did, sin and death. But Jesus came as the second Adam. Romans 6, 5-6 through 6, tells us that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus offered up this prayer and committed into the hands of the Father not only his own soul, but also the souls of all those that the Father had given him, who were united to him by faith. He offered up this prayer, believing that in his death, the sinful nature of all those that the Father had given him would also be brought to death. Even though Jesus was pouring out all his wrath on Jesus for the sins of his people, Jesus believed in faith that God would not let him stay dead. He believed in faith that his sacrifice would satisfy the wrath of God. So when Jesus cried out, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit, and breathed his last, he believed that, that the Father would not abandon his soul or let him see decay. Hebrews 5, 7-9 tells us, that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus kept the faith all the way to the end. He obeyed all the way to the end. Every breath he breathed from first to last, he breathed in worship and obedience to God. He accomplished his mission and he gathered up all those whom the Father had given him and committed them and him into the Father's hands because he believed that God could save them and him from death. And he was heard. Three days after Jesus cried out and breathed his last, God raised him from the dead and made him the source of eternal salvation for all who believe and obey. That's what Jesus' death means. Jesus' death is in the middle of a story. It's a story of a world that people broke through disobedience. Through the first Adam came sin and death. But through the obedience of Jesus, the second Adam came righteousness and eternal life. That's why it's significant that Jesus cried out and breathed his last. But the question still remains, how will you respond? And that is the third point. How will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus on the cross, crying out and breathing his last? How will you respond to the resurrected Lord who is coming back, bringing judgment and salvation? Do you respond like the crowd? We see the crowd's response in Mark 15, 31 through 32. First they say, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Do you see the irony in that phrase? It's precisely by not saving himself that Jesus saved others. The crowds missed the point of Jesus' death. If he had chosen to save himself, he would not have saved anyone else. Jesus voluntarily gave himself up as a substitute for his people so that he could save them. So he stayed on the cross to save them. Do you respond like the crowd? Do you you reject the salvation that's offered to you? Or do you respond in faith to Jesus and trust in him for salvation? The next phrase spoken by the onlookers is even worse. You can read it there in verse 32. They say, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. These people thought that they would believe in Jesus if he came down from the cross. But that's a huge misunderstanding. I've often heard people say that if Jesus showed up to them personally and did a miracle, that they would see and believe. But that claim misunderstands our sinful condition, and it misunderstands what we actually need to see. In our sinful condition, we pridefully think that God needs to reveal himself to us on our terms. We inflate the importance of our intellect and refuse to see anything that even hints at the fact that we cannot justify ourselves, that we can't save ourselves. But that's precisely the point of the cross. We can't save ourselves, and the cross is the horrific object lesson of that truth that should burn the truth into our minds that we need saving and can't save ourselves. Jesus went to the cross to save us. We don't need to see Jesus perform miracles in order for us to believe. We don't need to see him get down from the cross for us to see and believe. We need to see Jesus on the cross because only when we see him on the cross, in our place, bearing the wrath of God for our sins, dying the death that we deserve, and offering to God the perfect righteousness 
that we could never earn or offer, until we see Jesus on the cross for all of that, we will never believe. To see Jesus on the cross is to humble ourselves and acknowledge our guilt, to acknowledge our helplessness, and our need for a Savior to save us from our sins, our sinfulness, and from the wrath of God. Friend, I plead with you to see Jesus on the cross. See Him and believe. Don't be like the crowd and demand that Jesus meet your expectations before you believe. See Him on the cross, see your sin, and believe in Him. Believe in His life of perfect obedience. Believe in His offer of salvation. Believe that when He cried, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, that He cried that on your behalf. And that when He breathed His last, He did so for you. Believe that He purchased your life, was crushed for your iniquities, and has become your source of eternal salvation. See Him on the cross, believe in Him, and obey Him. Join Christ in committing your spirit into the Father's hands, and believe that He is able to save you from death. Do you respond with holiness? John Flavel said that Christ is so in love with holiness that at the price of his blood, he will buy it for us. Isn't he who breathed his last for us worthy of our obedience with every breath in our lungs? Often I'm tempted to minimize my sin. I think that I can reduce the guilt of my sin by having more good days than bad days. But that's not justice. It doesn't work that way. How do I know that such thinking minimizes my sin and is an affront to justice? Because Jesus went to the cross for my sin. The only answer for sin is to crush the sinner to bits. But instead of crushing me for my sin, God crushed Christ instead. Why do we minimize our sin? Jesus went to the cross for our sin. Jesus is so in love with holiness that at the price of his blood, he bought it for us. Stop minimizing your sin. Repent and run to Jesus. Press on with every breath in your lungs to pursue holiness in obedience to him who breathed his last for you. And lastly, do you respond in worship? In a few minutes, those of us who have responded to Jesus by believing and obeying will have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. In it, we look back at Christ's sufferings, and we look forward to the day when we will dine with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. And tonight I want to draw particular attention to the cup. When Jesus instituted the supper, he said that he would not drink again of the cup until he drank it anew in the kingdom of God. And that's what we look forward to with great anticipation. But Jesus knew that before he would drink that cup, there was another cup that he would have to drink. And that cup was the full cup of God's wrath poured out on him for the sins of all of his people. He prayed earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane for a way to avoid that cup. But there was no other way for God to save his people. So Jesus went willingly to the cross and the entire cup was poured out on him. As one hymn writer put it, death and the curse were in our cup. O Christ, t'was full for thee, but thou hast drained the last dark drop, tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up, now blessings draft for me. 
As we celebrate the supper tonight, think about that cup. That cup that should have been poured on you and me because of our sin. But Christ in his love drank it up. Jesus drained the last drop of that awful cup. And so he breathed his last. And now your cup is overflowing with blessing. Run to Jesus in faith, obedience, and worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ's sacrifice. We thank you that he came as the snake crusher to crush sin, death, and the curse, to bring us back to the garden. We thank you that he went to the cross for our sin and paid the full penalty, and that he has brought us with him to be with you. And we look forward to his return. In Jesus' name, amen.